0: who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Jason Lambert, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Hey, Mark, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here today.
0: Oh, it's great to have you here. Uh, Jason Lambert is a Florida licensed attorney who focuses his practice on representing and advising contractors, subcontractors, and material suppliers in the construction industry throughout the state of Florida. Uh, Before uh, law school, Jason spent a decade working in the construction industry, primarily as a project manager and operations director for both new construction and remodeling. So he's got real hands-on experience in addition to his legal background. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jason's also a dedicated uh, person uh, to improving and empowering the construction industry as a whole. He is uh, currently the president of the Tampa Bay Area Chapter for the National Association of the Remodeling Industry, NARI, and is also uh, on the board of directors for Habitat for Humanity in the uh, Hillsborough County area. Uh, Jason's the host of the Hammer and Gavel podcast, so you can go over there and check that out. It's a great podcast, really well done. I highly recommend it. You should definitely go subscribe so you can listen to all of those podcast episodes. And he also shares his thoughts in writing over at the Hammer and Gavel blog. You can learn everything at the website at hammern, the letter N, hammerngavel.com. And we'll share that again at the end. Um, but that's, uh, that's a great introduction, Jason, to who you are and what you do. I'd love to learn more about you. I'd love to learn where this all started, your origin story, Share your story from where you discovered your passion for what you're doing today and, and then give us that story to where you, where you are now.
1: Yeah, no, I'm happy to share it. Thank you for for asking. Um, I, uh, I really, I started in construction, uh, really sort of grew up in the construction industry. Um, my family was always in the electrical business, the electrical supply business. And I had like to joke, my first car was a company truck. <laughs> um, I uh, I started out making deliveries for them and and working in the warehouse and, you know, went to college and and was still working for my family and uh, after a little bit of time, you know, decided I needed to work for somebody who didn't have the same last name as me. So I uh, went to work for one of our clients who was a, a big custom home builder and, you know, they did light commercial work and sort of small development projects. And that's really where I got a lot of my first sort of hands-on experience in the construction industry.
0: How Um, old, how old were you when you, when you did that?
1: I was, I started working for my family when I was 14 and I started working for this builder when I was probably 22, 22 Mm -hmm. or 23. Um, and really it was, it was a fantastic opportunity because I got to it was a small outfit and he literally, the owner of it was like, Hey, we're going to start you out in the office and let you sort of see how the back end of things work. And then, you know, get you out in the field and let you see what happens there and then kind of let things, you know, grow how they grow. And uh, you know, over time there, I I managed probably 10 or $12 million worth of projects. um, And then ultimately grew into where I was our, director of operations and at that level I was you know putting together all of our contracts and we were actually at that point doing small development deals ourselves so it was you know scouting properties you know oh we found this you know city block how many units do we think we could build there how could we get townhouses or whatever could we put here and this was all—I mean, for those who remember, this was all back in 2003, 2004, 2005, sort of the the heyday of the, you know, construction boom that happened in this country, in this country, where there was tons of investment in that type of product. So, um, I worked my way up to that level, uh, and as I like to say, I, I rode it all the way to the top, and then all the way right back down to the bottom, and into <laughs> law school. Um, So uh, along the way, along that journey, I got a lot of other experience, too. I ended up working for a a high-end remodeling outfit down in Sarasota uh, County, Florida. We did a lot of work out on Siesta Key and the condos there. Um, And then in the run-up right before law school, which was really in 2008, um, I had uh I, you know, worked for a, a granite countertop company and a couple of commercial flooring contractors as well, uh, which really, again, fantastic amount of experience. and I've by virtue of working in all those different facets of the construction industry, it gave me a lot of different vantage points of, you know, what is the general contractor concerned with? what is a remodeling contractor concerned with? what are the subcontractors really concerned with when it actually comes down to, the nuts and bolts of how they're doing things. Yeah. Um, and that was a, a lot in the middle of all that as well, especially as the economy started to sour, I started, uh, doing, you know, notices to owner and helping other subcontractors with their notices to owner and construction liens, which in Florida, they've got a, Florida has a very detailed construction lien statute. And, uh, so i was helping other people you know make sure that they were protecting their lien rights especially as projects started to slow down and the economy started to turn south and it was really by you know that experience coupled with my experience helping to put together development deals was really what sort of made me think oh you know maybe maybe i can maybe i have an interest that goes beyond just being out in the field doing the work maybe i want to go back to law school and um I also thought from an economic standpoint, I mean, I'll go hide out in law school while the economy craters out and, you know, come out on the other side and everything will be great. And it took a little bit longer than that for things to recover. <laughs> but, uh, you know, overall, overall, it was it was a really, a really positive experience. And And one of the other things that drove me there was when I started looking around at, you know, bigger construction companies that I thought would have a better chance of surviving that recession intact. Uh, to put together development deals like I was doing or to manage sort of the compliance angle of their business, like I was helping other subcontractors do. They all wanted you to have either a law degree or an MBA in finance. So I said, okay, to to do the next level of things that I want to do, I need to go back to school anyway. So I went back to law school. And originally the plan was I'm going to go for three years. I'm going to come out and I'm going to try to go in house at one of these big construction companies and work there. And while I was in law school, I started working for a, a small firm here uh, in Pinellas County that did almost exclusively construction you know, litigation, you know, representing design professionals and contractors and subcontractors in various types of disputes. And pretty quickly realized that I enjoyed that a lot more than the prospect of, you know, just sitting at a desk working for one company. Um, I'd rather work with a lot of different companies and see a lot of different things as things, you know, as things progress. So uh, that's, that's what I did. I I came out on the other side and passed the bar exam and uh, ever since then have pretty much been representing contractors and subcontractors throughout the state of Florida. And now at this point in time, I work for a, a national firm. So there's, you know, I have clients that I've assisted, you know, along with other, you know, properly licensed professionals in those states, you know, but in, you know, Texas and and Michigan and Virginia and all over the place. So, um, it's really, you know, it's really kind of turned into something a lot bigger than I think I ever would have imagined it would have. Um, and the, the, the thing that I've tried to keep focus on, even as it's been growing, though, is so in, in Florida, you know, you have, and this is probably true in a lot of states, you have, you know, Ten or fifteen, maybe just massive contractors that, you know, from a legal perspective, everybody wants to represent. Everybody wants to work for them. You know, these are the the Skanskas and the Becks and the, you know, the guys who do you know international projects and all of that stuff. And you know, that's that's fantastic work if you can get it. But there's also you know a thousand attorneys vying for that work. And I, I looked around and and really saw that for, you know, small and medium sized and even pretty big sized, you know, contractors or subcontractors um, or design professionals, nobody targets them. You know, when they have a legal issue, they go and they find, you know, maybe the guy who helped them set up their LLC or maybe somebody who helped them with a will or somebody who helped them with a car accident one day. And for most people in the construction industry, it's a heavily regulated industry, whether you're a design professional or whether you're, you know, the guy out in the field doing the work. And so I've really tried to tailor my practice over the last three or four years to focusing on that segment of the industry. Because one, it's, it's massive. I mean, there's a million license holders in the state of Florida. And again, if 10 of them are doing giant projects over here, uh, that means there's well over 900,000 of them doing other stuff. And uh, so I've I've focused on that because I think that's the group that, you know, they're just as regulated as the as the big players, they're just as regulated by the government for their smaller projects, um, but nobody treats them that way and nobody acts that way about it. And then you find yourself in a dispute where, gee, your, your licensing wasn't exactly right for the scope of work you were doing or your permit wasn't exactly right or you didn't follow the lien laws to a T and all of a sudden you're in, you're in really deep trouble for a small business. Um, and that's something that I've become really passionate about. And that's really, that was the Genesis for hammer and gavel for the website. Um, because I was like, there's gotta be, you know, there's cases that come out probably three or four a month, if not more that impact the construction industry, because it's such a huge industry in Florida was like, people need to know what's going on and how courts are deciding these issues so they can make business decisions off of it. Um, and then I, I launched the podcast uh, late last year because, you know, these guys are busy. Um, and I, I feel like they're probably more likely to listen to a 10-minute podcast in between, you know, trips to job sites than right. anything yep. else. So that was really, that's really how I've ended up where I am um was just trying to to follow that you know follow that that segment and and by segment i mean the vast majority of you know people in the construction industry down here of you know how can we how can we make sure that they have the information they need to operate in this environment you know and, and keep it as much of a handshake sort of you know get her done good old boy you know doing work type you know, industry while at the same time complying with, you know, a stack of regulations that I, I, I wrote an article last year, late last year, where I printed out literally all the regulations for a bunch of different professions in the state of Florida. And the only industry or profession that had a thicker stack of regulations than uh, general contractors was surgeons. Um, mm-hmm. Which you would expect your brain surgeon to be heavily regulated. Nobody realizes that the the framer working on their job site is almost as regulated as the brain surgeon. So, wow. um, anyway, I, I just it's something that that I'm I'm passionate about, sort of getting out there and and trying to to teach people about and educate them on, so at least they can, you know, before they make a n- a misstep, think about it and and talk to somebody, whether it's me or another attorney or another you know, person in the industry, you know, talk to somebody and get some additional information so that you don't make a, a silly mistake that could have been avoided.
0: Yeah, yeah. What a great story. I, I want to I hit a couple of different things. Uh, you mentioned liens, so I want to talk about that. And I want I want to talk deeply about that because I want to uh, sort of uh, teach architects what they need to know about liens. But also before we get into that, I want to go back to when you were working in construction and you worked in lots of different Fields. And you had mentioned that it was a benefit because you had understood, and I don't know what the words you used, but you started understanding how those people interacted with one another, right? It wasn't only about the business. It was about what they needed, what was important to each of them in the different roles in construction. How important is that to you today as a practicing attorney representing those people to have that background and that experience?
1: Oh, it's, it's become hugely important. Um, One, I can speak the language, I don't have to, nobody, none of my clients ever have to bring me up to speed on what's going on in a project, they can explain it in their terms, in their language, again, whether they're a design professional, or whether they're a contractor, or a subcontractor, or even a material supplier, they can just sort of explain what happened. And I've, I've probably lived through a circumstance very similar to that before. So um, and maybe from their perspective or from the opposing side or something like that. And I'll give you a, a couple of examples. Um, at one of the first firms I, I worked at, they, uh, we were representing a developer on a project and they kept complaining that the contractor kept was hiding the plans from them. He's hiding the plans. He's taking information. He's not giving it to us and uh and my boss came to me and said you know we need to put together this demand letter and and there were definitely some issues out there with what was going on but i said our client is really harping on the hiding the plans thing like what's going on they said well every you know the plans are only out there certain times there's no plans on the site you know they don't even know what they're doing to build it and the reality was the the builder had the permitted set of plans and was taking that back to the office except for when they had inspections otherwise there were plans out there and i said Listen, like getting a new set of permitted plans from the county, you know, takes an act of God. So, we used to, when I was in construction, we used to do the same thing. We had them in a plastic Ziploc bag. We put them out there for inspections and we brought them, you know, we brought them back into the office and had them in a fire safe, quite honestly, that we kept them in until we needed them again.
0: Right. Otherwise, they'd they'd, they'd end up under the seat in the pickup truck. (laughs) Right. Exactly. All wet and and wrinkled.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like a very minor thing um but it kept us from going off on some tangent about these plans it allowed right. us just to focus in on what's really the issue here um and, and same thing as in as in so many disputes the issues are really about communication you mm-hmm. know 90% of the time and so you know, to have a a subcontractor call and say, "Ah, the general contractor has done this, this and this, and and that's a breach and I'm gonna file a lien or to have the general contractor saying the same thing about a design professional or somebody else. um, It's helpful to have sort of been on all sides of it and be able to say, okay, I think this is what the subcontractor is trying to protect over here. And I think this is what the general contractor is trying to protect over here here's this pathway I see through the middle of this. What do you guys think? Will that work for you? Will it not? Why won't it work? And sometimes, you know, there's truly a problem. Somebody, somebody has really screwed something up that's going to cost a lot of money to fix or somebody really has, you know, run off with the money and, and they're, you know, acting in bad faith. But a lot of the time, if you can get people to understand what's going on on all the different sides and why they're probably acting the way they are, it can make resolution a lot easier. And and that to me has been the biggest benefit of having that background and that experience and being able to work as an attorney with people who were in the industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's always better. And this is something that my attorney taught me. It's always better, always better to find a solution outside of having to go through a legal process, exhaust everything first, have all those conversations, find out all of the, the problems find out what's important to each member of that of that issue because you'll probably find the solution there before you have to take legal action
1: absolutely and the solution you can create yourself is almost always going to be better for you than the one that some third party a judge a jury right. an arbitrator right. ever creates
0: yeah um the other thing i just wanted to point out before we jump into liens is you had also talked about the the market that you're in the the business from a business point of view. First of all, I love the brand, Hammer & Gavel. I think it's a great brand. Um, but but it uh, the idea that you have focused on this market, right? That there is a, mar- a big demand for the big boys, right? And there's this, almost this hole in the market that is massive that no one was serving. And so you recognize that and you built a brand exclusively for that market. And that's something that architects can learn as well, that there's there's a big market in architecture and we all wanna design big fancy glass houses, but there's other markets that you can do really great architecture with really great clients and make lots of money serving that market if you build a brand that specializes in that market. Uh, and so I just wanted to, to point, point that out. I wanna leave lots of room for, for liens because that's really the thing that I, that I wanna jump into here. Um, let's start right from the beginning, Jason. What's a lean? And how does it work at a really basic level? And then we'll talk about the things that we really need to know.
1: Sure. So uh, I'm going to call them construction liens, but at least in Florida, a construction lien includes a design professionals lien, a subcontractors lien, you know, anything related sort of to the construction industry. So um, a lien essentially is a right to, you know, have your payment secured by a piece of real property. So the easiest way to explain it is think about it like your mortgage. If you bought a house and you have a $100,000 mortgage on it, the bank loaned you $100,000 and said, hey, just to make sure you pay this back, we're gonna record a mortgage against the property so that if you don't pay it back, we can take the property, sell it, and recoup some of our money. And everybody I'm sure is familiar with the term of a mortgage foreclosure. It's the same process for a construction lien. You, If you ultimately get to the point where you're enforcing it in court, it is a construction lien foreclosure action, and it operates the same way. If at the end of the day, the people don't pay your lien and you prevail in court, then the property can be sold at auction to satisfy your construction lien. Um, so that's at a very basic level, that's, that's what a construction lien is and, and how it operates to help people in the construction industry secure their right to payment.
0: Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. RCAT, Studio Services Bookkeeping, Fresh Books, and Twin Motion. I'm hearing it more and more among the Entree Architect community. Your workload is piling up. And with project conditions changing and limited time to get things done, it's good to have information at your fingertips. RCAT.com provides architects, engineers, spec writers, and contractors with the most comprehensive libraries of building product content. And it's designed so you can access it quickly and efficiently. And even better, rcat.com is free. It's free to use and requires no registration. So visit today at rcat.com and access the information you need now. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. Studio Services Bookkeeping, a division of Charette Venture Group, provides concierge remote bookkeeping services to small firm architects. Liberate yourself from bookkeeping tasks by outsourcing to trusted professionals who understand the nuances of your industry and your firm size. You can maintain control of your finances without doing all bookkeeping tasks yourself. Studio Services Bookkeeping goes beyond traditional bookkeeping to help you manage cash flow, analyze project profitability, handle invoicing and streamline your financial systems. Learn how to start outsourcing your bookkeeping today at ss-bookkeeping.com/entrearchitect. And mention Entree Architect and get 5 hours of free bookkeeping with a 6-month contract. That's ss-bookkeeping.com/entrearchitect. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like you. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you can spend nailing a client pitch, serving your clients, or honing your craft as an architect. From building, sending and following up on invoices to tracking and managing expenses to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. It's also super easy to get up and running and the award-winning FreshBooks support team is always available to answer questions. Try FreshBooks today for free 30 days. No credit card required. 30 days. Go to entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks and enter entrearchitect in the how did you hear about us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks and get more time back to build the business you love. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks? Remove months from the design process or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up? Well, our friends at Twinmotion offer simple real-time visualization for architects. Their state-of-the-art technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high quality images, panoramas, standard or 360 degree VR videos, or presentations. No wonder it's used by industry leaders like Zaha Hadid Architects and HOK. What's more, you'll have access to the world's largest library of 3D assets to populate your scene. Sound complicated? It's not. What if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present their biggest idea in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience, or that it uses drag and drop assets and the power of the Unreal Engine to truly differentiate your projects. To learn more, visit TwinMotion.com or download a free trial, a free trial today. Visit our exclusive URL, TwinMotion.link slash Entree Architect. That's TwinMotion.link slash Entree Architect to try Twinmotion. For free today please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you the entree architect community in construction uh in in commercial construction it's pretty standard that there are liens that are part of the process right there's a lien waiver that's required when you get paid right could you talk about how that process works at a at a general level in residential it's it's available in residential too but often residential it they don't they don't do all that, uh, but it could be, it could be, and it depends on the state. Some states, you know, would require it; some others don't. So check your own state laws. But can you talk about the process of how that works?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll I'll preface it by saying, you know, my I'm a Florida licensed attorney. My experience is in yep. Florida. Florida has a, a really detailed construction lien law process, and that sort of will form inform how I explain this to yep. everybody. The benefit of that is most other states are not as detailed as florida but they follow a similar process so if you can sort of grasp what i'm saying here it'll at least tell you how to go look for it in your own state uh the type of statute you should look for the type of attorney you should look to talk to or anything like that um and like i said our firm has attorneys all over the place so feel free to reach out and may be able to connect you with somebody in one of those states but um from a in Florida, at least, and in most states, with very few exceptions, the lien laws apply equally to all construction projects. Okay. Sometimes there's a uh, a dollar amount cutoff in Florida. Only certain provisions apply to contracts that are less than twenty five hundred dollars. Um, there are different statutes sometimes that apply for public projects, but I'm going to talk about just sort of private projects for the moment. They apply equally generally to commercial and residential, and You, uh, you know, if you're doing work on a project, and I'll I'll say as a design professional, you develop the plans, you put everything together, um, usually there is some sort of notice you have to give to the property owner, the contractor, the other parties involved, who may not have a contract directly with you to say, hey, uh, I'm out here, I'm doing work, and, you know, by the way, I may have a lien right on your property under, you know, my state's local lien laws. In Florida, actually, there's one unique piece about Florida, design professionals do not have to provide a a notice to owner, which again, 95% of the time, the design professionals in contractual privity with the property owner, I mean, that's who they're developing the plans for. So it kind of makes sense there. Uh, But, you know, if you're ever working with a general contractor for a, a third party property owner. You want to make sure that you're you know, giving some sort of notice or letting the property owner know that, hey, I'm, I'm out here and, and you know, somebody is going to owe me money at the end of the day for these plans. And then as you're, doing, as you're doing the plans or as you're involved in the project, maybe you're involved in a supervisory role on the project you know, after it gets started, um, it's very common for contractors or property owners as they're sending you payments to want in return a waiver of the lien rights that are covered by that payment so and again that can happen on either a commercial or residential project but you just want to make sure if you're entering into lien waivers with any anybody a general contractor or a property owner that it's only for work you've actually been paid for and that you're not inadvertently you know waiving all of your lien rights and i always suggest to people if it's not a process you're very familiar with you know maybe the first go-round you know, consult with an attorney or speak with somebody just to make sure that you're doing things the right way. And then once it becomes pretty standard or you're pretty comfortable with it, you can manage it on your own. None of this stuff is, once you sort of go through the paces a few times and, and get it, the system down, none of it is rocket science. It's just a matter of knowing the right steps to do and, and the right things to look for. And that's all stuff that anybody can learn you know, relatively easily.
0: Is the lien notice in the beginning of the process? Is that a separate legal document, or is that something that is typically part of the of the contracts that are signed?
1: It's usually a separate document. So in in Florida, the official name for it is a notice to owner. In uh, some other states, they call it a notice of intent to lien. Uh, they call it a, a notice of contractor. You know, just saying that you're out there. And again, I, I would look at it at how it applies to contractors, because a lot of times those statutes are defined very broadly and include design professionals and material suppliers and everything as well. Um, And then see if there's a separate statute uh, that deals with design professionals. So again, in Florida, all of this is contained in chapter 713 Florida statutes. And there's one section of it that applies just to design professionals that sort of carves out and eliminates a lot of requirements for design professionals and and gives them liens and gives them lien rights, but, you know, differentiates some of the process they have to go through as opposed to say a subcontractor or a general contractor or a material supplier.
0: Right. So for specifics for both states and your role, check your local laws, your state laws, your local laws, make sure you understand what's happening in in your region Um, with the notice to owner If you don't file that notice to owner, are your rights shot in Florida?
1: Yeah, under certain circumstances. If you're a a subcontractor or a material supplier and you don't serve a notice to owner, um, you're completely out of luck from a construction lien standpoint. And that's not the end of the world for you. I'll get into that in a second. But um, as a design professional in Florida, you're not required to serve a notice to owner though, there are certain circumstances where you are Florida also makes a distinction between whether or not your plans are actually used to improve the property or not and whether your contract was with the property owner or not mm-hmm. and if it if your plans you know weren't used to improve the property even though your contract may have been with the property owner I still recommend design professionals serve a notice to owner because it it makes it very clear to everybody that you were out there doing work even though your plans weren't ultimately used to improve the property. So um, for other states, there's not those, you know, sort of bifurcations and different layers of, you know, what's applicable here. So in your state, it may not, or in a different state, it may not be that that's an issue at all that, that comes up. You know, once yeah. you do the work, you have a lien right. So, um, but if you, if you are required to send those types of pre-notices, usually the failure to do that completely obliterates a lien right. And the reason that's not the end of the world is a construction lien is only one tool to get payment. It's a very powerful tool, but just because you don't have a lien right doesn't mean you've lost your right to get paid. You can still pursue somebody for a, a breach of contract action or unjust enrichment or any other sort of payment, you know, claim that you may have against them. Um, you just have lost the ability for that claim of yours to be secured by real. Right. Um And from a practical standpoint, the reason that matters not not only is it secured if you have a lien right, but if, for example you're working on a project where there's a lender that's you know providing construction draw, draws once a construction lien is filed, almost every lender in the country immediately stops funding the project until the lien is resolved. so now you've created a huge incentive for everybody else on the project to make sure you're taken care of so that the money will start flowing for everything else um so, you know, construction liens, from my perspective, are, are a fantastic leverage tool to have. Right.
0: That was the word um, I was thinking. Lots of most, leverage.
1: Yeah. And most people use them that way. It's, I mean, it's very rare for a lien foreclosure action to get all the way to the end. Somebody wins, then, they, then somebody's house is sold to satisfy a lien. Uh, that's very rare. The liens create a ton of leverage and they result in payment of some sort, you know, some sort of resolution well before they get to that point. Um, so I, it's a great right to have. You don't want to give it up, you know, carelessly or intentionally, but um, if you don't have it, it's not the end of the world. You can still get paid. You've just got to jump through some more hoops.
0: Okay, so so the notice to owner provides those, or notices, provides a notice to the owner saying, hey, I have this right. Then when you get paid, there could be a lien waiver that waives the, 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 that right, essentially, when you get paid. Say, so, okay, I've gotten paid for this part of the job. We're gonna waive the lien uh, for the, the rights for the liens for that little piece of it. Uh, and then the next time you get paid, you do it again and again and again. What happens if the, you don't get paid and you have to go to the next step?
1: Right, so once you get to that point in time, um you can, so again, using Florida as an example. Yep. As a design professional, you, there's a statutory form that you know, puts forth your information, the property information, you know, the owner and the people you contracted with this information. And then essentially the dates you did work and the you know, total contract and what remains due on it, notarize it, you record it in the county where the property is located, and boom, you have a construction lien there. Um, you can consult with an attorney on that. You can handle them yourself. In Florida, liens have to be prepared by either the lien or themselves or an attorney. You're not supposed to use um, a third party, though a lot of people do. Um, And part of that is because it's a pretty important legal document and it carries with it a lot of consequences. So you want to make sure they're prepared correctly. Most construction liens or design professional liens have a set amount of time you have to enforce them at that point in time. So for many states, it's one year. Some states you can renew your construction lien. In Florida, you cannot. Your lien is valid for one year and you either sue to foreclose it or it goes away. And once um, you take
0: action, then that that time starts yeah, over. Yeah, then it's, it's fine. It's a, it's a deadline to take action.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so once you've taken that action, then you're fine until, you know, until it's resolved through the court proceeding or whatever action you've taken. Um, and that's, like I said, for some States, I think in New York, for example, you can renew a lien once. So a lien is valid for a year. You can renew it and then you get a second year out of it. Um, so there are a lot of different, you know, different requirements like that in different States.
0: So you fi- So when you file a lien, that's a legal document. And how is that delivered to the, um, the owner? right? Because yeah. it's, it's a lien against the owner, right? Or against the property that the owner owns.
1: Right. So usually, I mean, you send it by certified mail or Federal Express. Again, Florida has a statute that spells out, you know, three or four specific ways you can deliver a construction lien. And yeah. you're supposed to deliver the construction lien within 15 days of it being recorded. Most other states don't have quite so detailed or strict requirements, but you want, you want some sort of proof that it was delivered there. So whether you you know, hire a courier to take it over and have somebody sign for it, whether you serve it by certified mail so that they have to sign for it, you know, FedEx and and make sure you check the box where a signature is required. Any and all of those things are going to be uh, sufficient to show that you served it on them. And honestly, even if the statute doesn't require service on the property owner, you want to send it to them anyway, because you want them to know you have a lien, it's on their property. And that a lot of times that will also sort of, kickstart them to take some action
0: right and that's that's part that's really the 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 benefit of the whole process right and that notification is is the is the thing that says hey i'm taking this to the next level so you might want to pay attention to this you need to pay me or we're going to the next level
1: right exactly exactly um and that's why uh that's why another thing that i suggest is you know even if you do the lien on your own it can be helpful at that point to go ahead and and consult with or talk to an attorney because your next step is going to be filing a lawsuit and you're going to have to have an attorney to do that so you know if if you are thinking that you may head that direction you may want to go ahead and make sure your lien is at least looked over by an attorney or that you get some assistance with it just to make sure that you're all set to go to the next stage if you need to.
0: And this lien may be coming from a subcontractor who works for a contractor who works for the owner, but the lien is still from the subcontractor to the owner, correct? So if the the contractor doesn't pay the subcontractor, they could just go to the owner and say, hey, your contractor is not paying me. Here's a lien. You need to deal with this. So you either need to pay me or you need to get your contractor to pay me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Florida even has in various documents related to construction that property owners sign a big warning that says, hey, if you ignore liens or you ignore notices or things like that, you could end up paying twice because the ultimate responsibility falls to the property. So if a GC fails to pay somebody who then records a lien on the property, even if the property owner already paid the general contractor, they could end up in a circumstance where they have to pay the property owner or where they have to pay the subcontractor. And I actually have a subcontractor right now that got stiffed by the same general contractor on five different projects. And so far we are, uh, you know, four for four on having property owners pay my client directly. And it's, I I feel bad for them. It's a lot of money they're having to come out of pocket for something that wasn't really their fault, but that's the, the statute, you know, protects subcontractors in that way. And, And it, Again, in Florida, it protect, protects design professionals in that way, and you know general contractors too to a lesser degree.
0: Yeah. So let's say you serve that that lien and you still don't get paid, then what's the next step?
1: File a lawsuit. And
0: basically. then it just then it just goes to court and it becomes a a typical court court issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the only exception to that is well. There's no exception to filing a lawsuit. Generally speaking, construction liens, because they're purely a creature of statute, um they have to be created by your state legislature. Usually only a court can enforce them. So it sort of dovetails in a lot of contracts nowadays have arbitration provisions. So it creates sort of this weird circumstance where you have to sue to foreclose the lien, but then all the underlying then that gets stayed and all the underlying dispute over the money and the completeness or incompleteness of the work or the, you know, where the plans used, where yeah. all that stuff gets hammered out in arbitration. And then if after the end result of that is, oh yeah, you, you should have been paid $10,000. You have your lien foreclosure action up here and the court then takes that, you know, $10,000 award and says, okay, you know, property owner, you have 30 days to pay it. Otherwise we're going to put the property up at auction and sell it. So it's, it can make things a little more complicated if you have an arbitration provision, but um, it can still, you know, you still get to take advantage of your arbitration provision if you want to.
0: So they so they happen simultaneously. You're still required to file that lawsuit because that's the law. And then because your contract says you're going to, dis, you know, your, your um, uh, dispute resolution is by arbitration or mediation or whatever you have in your contract, you can go back to that, go through that process resolve the issues there and then go back to resolve the issue with the with the court.
1: Right. Yep, that's exactly right.
0: Got it. All right, that's very good, Jason. Thank you. Is there anything else that we should know as design professionals cuz that sort of explains the process. Is there anything else that we need to know about this?
1: Um you know, don't be scared to use them. That's the biggest thing that I would say. I have, you know, two or three clients who are design professionals, you know, architects or engineers and you know they'll call me when they have an issue and i say yeah you know sometimes there are time limits on when you can record liens or when you can you know file liens and i always say you know gee make sure that you're paying attention to those deadlines and that you can you know deal with that deal with that quickly on the front end um and don't be scared of you know the statutes are there to protect you so take advantage of them you're never going to you're never going to go wrong protecting your business and protecting your ability to receive payment for something um so that that's what i would suggest you know most design professionals at least my experience in florida they don't really want to use liens they don't record liens they think it's more for contractors or subcontractors and it's it's still there for them and it's a powerful tool and it it exists in other states as well as a powerful tool so you know, don't be worried about it. Look at it as another you know avenue of something that you can do to protect your business. You've worked really hard to build it and to master this craft. Um, you know, it it you deserve you deserve the respect of being paid for it, and this is another way that you can make sure of that.
0: In so in Florida, you had mentioned that design professionals do not need to file the noticed notice to owner. You don't have to submit that. Um, So if if that's the case, does it make sense to just include um, a section in your agreement saying, hey, just so you know, this is one of the rights that I have? And so it's in your agreement. It's in your contract. It gives you an opportunity to review it when you're reviewing your contract. But it's not this additional document that's sort of in their face and say, hey, um, you know, I, I potentially could get aggressive with you in the future if you don't pay me does that make sense and is that legal can you will it still work
1: i think that's a great no no i think that's a great thing and it brings up another another topic too but you yeah absolutely you can include language like that in your contracts um you know arguably if you draft it right you know whether you have a construction lien right or not your contract may give you a lien right on the property so you know you can talk to an attorney about that there's another um just the way sort of the case law has shaken out in florida there's this interesting sort of thing that courts look at for design professionals to see, you know, if you, if your contract wasn't with the property owner, was it with an agent of the property owner? Because if it was with an agent, it's treated the same as the property owner, you have your lien, right? It it eliminates a lot of hurdles or concerns you might have to go through. And I have a a client now that we've added that into his contract that whoever is signing it, you know, they're representing that if they're not in in the event, they're not the actual property owner, they're an agent of the property owner, and the you know the architect is entitled to rely on that. And and the reason I would suggest language like that in the contract is a lot of times, design professionals are coming in at the beginning of a project. There's a lot of people that they're talking to, and they're you know they're dealing with John Smith, and maybe they know John Smith's company is going to is you know you know ABC Construction or ABC Real Estate Development, but the property owner for legal or tax reasons or whatever may end up being a trust or a different llc or something else and so if you can sort of button all that up at the beginning in your agreement it can make the lien enforcement process a lot easier because then it's hey john smith owns this company and was dealing with me on this he also owns this llc that now owns the property that they've moved it to you know this doesn't change anything you know we were he was the agent of this company no matter what. So. There's ways that you can protect yourself from sort of that that weird phase at the beginning of a project when everybody's still trying to get things set up and right. you know you're dealing with a person but the legal entities involved may be shifting still. There's ways to protect yourself from that um, that that aren't complicated and and don't require you to have a 90 page contract. So um, no offense to the AIA, I know architects love the <laughs> AIA, but. Nah,
0: not all of us. Good. I mean, okay, I love I love the AIA, but not all of us. We don't all love the AIA. That's there's, for sure. Uh,
1: there's ways there's ways to do it in a simpler manner if if you want to. So and lots
0: of us small firm architects are not using AIA contracts. We're using contracts that we built ourselves with attorneys. Right. And so which I love. I love that idea. That's how I do it. I've worked with my own attorney to build my own contract. And what I like about that is that I could put whatever I want in there, as long as it doesn't go against the law. Right. You can you can write into that contract anything you want. So if you want to write in all this language about liens, you can have all section on liens and it's in there and it protects you. And when you need it, it's there. You just go back to the agreement and you're good to go.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Uh, Jason, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow?
1: Uh... In addition to to paying attention to their lien laws, actually, it's funny that we ended on construction contracts because another the other thing that i am I'm very passionate about, um which all of this just makes me sound like the, the biggest nerd on the planet, other than being passionate about construction liens. Uh, I, I am really passionate about the the contracts that people use in their business. Um, and the way that i would the thing that I would suggest that uh, most people don't think about, um though you just sort of mentioned it is, your con your contract, whether it's a design contract, a construction contract, whatever, it can say whatever you want it to say. Don't just you know either download one off the internet or hire an attorney to put one together for you and say, "Oh, well, this is what the attorney said it needed to be, so that's what it is. Right. Make sure your contract matches how you actually do business because if it sets forth all these steps and notices and things like that that you're never going to do, then you're never going to actually have a contract that's very clearly enforceable maybe certain elements of it will be but if there's notice provisions or default provisions or things like that that you're never going to enforce um you know eliminate them have it have it in such a way that you that it follows what you do and the the classic example i'll give you know that a lot of people run into today is they'll sign a contract and then as they make adjustments or changes to scope of work a lot of that is accomplished through email um, maybe without a written change order, which I'm a fan of written change orders. But if, if your usual mode of operation is to send emails back and forth and get someone's agreement over email, and that's a change order, put a provision in your contract that says, hey, we can change this contract through a written amendment, or through an email where I email you a, a proposal and you say, yes, that looks good, or whatever, or, and you respond with, The purple dinosaur rides at midnight. I mean, whatever language you want it to be, it can be, but make sure it fits how you actually operate because then if you do run into a problem down the road and you show up at my office and say, I don't have any signed change orders, but I have a bunch of emails where they agreed to things. I'm going to say, well, does your contract let you guys change it by email? Yeah, it does because I had a provision in there. Well, perfect. Then we've got no issue there. Let's move forward. Um, so that's just one example, but have your contract match the way you actually do business, because that's going to make your life much easier down the road. Um, and you don't have to change anything about how you naturally do business. So yeah. that'd be my biggest piece of advice.
0: I love it. Great, great advice. And, and if you're interested, I'd love to have you come back and we'll go deeper on that.
1: Yeah, that- absolutely. When, anytime you'd like to, I'd be happy to talk about it. Yeah, so.
0: let, let's do that we'll we'll set set up another one and we'll we'll have a part 2 and we'll talk contracts in, in more in more depth his name is Jason Lambert you should definitely go check out the website uh the letter n hammern com. go read the blog go listen to the podcast because what he just did with leans he does is it is it weekly I usually try to do two or
1: three a week and, and break up a topic into short yep. pieces so people can follow it.
0: And that's what he does on the podcast. So if you're interested in sort of you know learning about law and how it works with the industry that we're in, go subscribe to Hammer and Gavel on the podcast. Um, and there's a, a whole bunch of stuff over at Hammerandgavel.com. And that's also how you can connect directly with Jason. Uh, you can just send him an email through Hammer and Gabble. Uh, any social media anywhere that we can sort of follow you on social media, Jason?
1: Yeah. Uh- Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, you can search for my name or or search hammer and gavel either way. I think I have accounts for both on most of them. So uh, yeah, find me there. Happy to interact there as well, or at least that'll give you a, a way to reach out to me if you need to. All
0: right. You could also, you could, he's also very active on the uh, architects and allies Facebook group, our our sister, facebook group to the entre architect community for our allies and architects so you can go find that we'll have links to all of this social media hammer and gavel the podcast uh, architects and allies we'll have everything on the show notes so just hit the show notes and there'll be links to everything jason this has been great and i would love to have you come back thank you for coming on today and for sharing your knowledge here at entre architect podcast thank you so much mark happy to come back anytime If you liked this episode of Entre Architect podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Links to all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com podcast. And thank you to Arcat Studio Services Bookkeeping, FreshBooks, and Twin Motion for their support of this podcast. Entree Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We're curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources, live monthly training for architects, business training that is, a supportive architect community. Yep, it's there. And Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you, it's in there for you at Entre Architect Academy. It's waiting for you right there at the membership. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Be well, my friends, be healthy, happy, safe and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know.
1: I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this. I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me.
0: Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entre Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entre Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so uh, for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.